Arkansas Row Crops Radio, providing up-to-date information and timely recommendations on row crop production in Arkansas. Welcome to the Weeds Are Wild podcast series as a part of the University of Arkansas Row Crops Radio. My name is Jason Norsworthy and I'm a weed scientist with the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Today I'm excited to be joined by Dr. Larry Steckel, Extension Weed Scientist with the University of Tennessee. Hey Larry, it's great to have you with us this morning. Yeah, good morning Jason, good to be with you. Hey, today's June the 30th, so of course, that's going to be the cutoff date for dicamba use in soybean. And I guess that's that's going to be in Tennessee, whereas in Arkansas, it's going to be our statewide cutoff, whether we're talking soybean or whether we're talking cotton. And so with that, Larry, you know, a lot of questions I think that's going to start coming in as we, we get later into the year here now is what are really our options as we look at pigweed and some of our other major issues that we have in in soybean, what are you telling your growers over there in Tennessee? Well, the big thing is, um, is don't ever let the weeds come up. So, because I we don't have real good options post, even when we got things that are legally able to spray uh, post, as, as you know. So, uh, overlapping pre's and using the high end rated those pre's for the soil type is my number one recommendation. Um, you know, right now we got a lot of double crop beans being planted. The cutoff date is, is gonna impact those for sure. Um, and, you know, good, put a good pre on and then come back within 14 days, certainly no longer 21 days and overlay another pre and try and keep them from ever coming up. That's the major start. Hopefully um, they're Liberty link and we can, we can come across with Liberty um, I've been starting to recommend some higher rates of Liberty just, uh, just for consistency of control. Um, and, but you know, some of them are still extend beans, so you can't put Liberty on them and, or I'm starting to hear maybe our two shortages of glyphosate. Um, I've not heard of any farmer that hasn't been able to get it yet, but uh, these retailers are telling me they're, they're at the raggedy end of having a supply for them. So we may end up with some issues where folks can't get glufosinate. I don't know yet. Um, but otherwise, then I'm going back to the old, what we used to use, uh, you know, this late, you don't want to use a lot of fomesifen uh, and carry over in the corn or grain sorghum. So, you know, the old ultra blazer, uh, you know, pint and a half of it, uh, 10 ounces of Cobra MSO, and hope you don't have a lot of PPO resistance. I don't have a lot of good options once it's, once it's up and, and you don't have the option of putting Liberty over the top. Um, you know, the other option would be to grow Enlist beans. I think there's still some of those out there. If we can use 2,4-D or the Enlist list product over the top. Um, and, you know, Enlist, at least on our pigweed that we're seeing that, that's showing some oxen resistance. Um, really, Enlist 1 isn't really any better than Dicamba. They're both about the same, maybe 50, 60% control. But the big difference is you can take mixed liberty with it. And when I take mixed liberty with Enlist One, I do very, very well. Um, get get very good control almost every time, even on stuff that's probably too big to be spraying. So those would be the options. Um, I don't know exactly what we're looking at as far as Enlist soybean seed supply, but uh, that would be an option on some of these double crop acres. So yeah, so d- double crop. I know we've we've still got a good many beans uh, going into the ground as uh, these late planted beans that are like you said, double crop or maybe because of, you know, we have a lot of flooding in South Arkansas. And with that, we've got a, a lot of replant. And so uh, hopefully 
those beans are in list. Those beans are Liberty Link where they can have some options. But, you know, over in Arkansas, on our side of the, the river, uh, Larry, it's there's a lot of extend beans. And I think this year, the majority of those would be true extend beans. They're not extend flex soybeans. And as you said, um, you know, we're getting awful late to be applying the flex stars, the reflexes, the flumesophen type products. And, you know, my experience has been for us is we've got a tremendous, tremendous amount of, of PPO resistance. And so the utility of the, the blazers, the other PPOs out there has just been marginal at best uh, for us. So I don't know. It's extremely unfortunate that uh, we're this late in the year. And if a guy hasn't, if a guy hasn't planted the extend technology early and done a good job of uh, overlaying those residuals, like we talk about and making sure that they're cleaned up into this point, there's really nothing uh, that's going to be done to, to clean that crop up. Again, the extend flex, Yes, you've got the beauty of having the glufosinate uh, component, but, you know, when we talk about glufosinate, the thing that also is going to start getting us here is now that, you know, we've got flowering beans and, you know, the cutoff for glufosinate is prior to bloom. And, and uh, so that's something that we're just going to have to, to deal with and understand. And I'll tell you this, that cutoff, my experience has been that cutoff on those soybeans is real. Uh, you go out on blooming soybeans and you start spraying glufosinate, uh, you're going to find out rather quickly that you're going to start shedding uh, those flowers. So there's going to be very few options there. And hopefully these late planted beans, uh, we are planting a technology that's going to enable us uh, to try to use some herbicides that do are effective on on soybeans. So you mentioned, you mentioned your, your oxen uh, resistance issues. And can you give us a little bit of an, an update? You said dicamba 2,4-D. Sounds like you've got resistance to both of those over there in Tennessee. And um, what, what are you finding that actually kills that pigweed? I mean, it's scary when we start talking about oxen resistant pigweed. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I feel like I'm Thomas Edison and they asked, he, he, had what 10,000 failures on trying to make a light bulb, getting the right filament <laughs> in there. And they asked him if he failed. <laughs> what did you think of failing 10,000 times? He goes, I didn't think I failed 10,000 times. I just found 10,000 ways not to not to make a light bulb. So, and I found a lot of ways we can't kill pigweed. That's real easy. Uh, Started to get a little bit pessimistic, quite frankly, because um, uh, we, we've looked at a lot. So at our more, we got just a lot of segregating populations out there. Um, in, in a lot of these fields, and we've gone to a couple farmers' fields where, where the, the resistance level is, is quite a bit higher, and we're just trying to wrap our arms around just how much it is. It's real common, you know, to get through that, you know, ha uh, a half pound dicamba, uh, pound 2,4-D application, but, uh, you know, we've got places that it's going twice that, and at one location, and it was three weeks out, we still had survivors after a gallon of of the list one or I think what did I figure 176 ounces of, of extended max um, still had some survivors out there so I think we're starting to see that the, the tolerance the, the overall tolerance of all these pigweeds to these auctions is starting to ramp up fairly quickly now I, a lot of the yeah. growers are pushing the rate and I think we're pushing the curve to the right yeah that that's what it's interesting uh, Larry, you, you say that, you know, you, you send samples in to me each year to screen as part of our United Soybean Board. 
uh, project, and we look at those across the U.S., and one thing that I definitely have seen in the data is that there continues every year appears to be more and more spread in the variability uh, of the sensitivity of pigweed across the U.S. Uh, to dicam. But it's not only dicam. I'll say glufosinate. Uh, we've seen an increase uh, there as well. So I think as we continue to use these oxen herbicides, they're becoming less and less effective. And uh, me and you both know that, uh, you know, growers have a tendency want to increase that rate to try to maintain that, that acceptable level of control. But at the end of the day, that's extremely short-sighted and, and uh, we're on the verge of having herbicides that, that just aren't effective. And, you know, you, you've seen some of that on your side of the river. I've seen some of that on mine where, like you said, you 2X, 3X, 4X rates of an oxen herbicide and uh, you still have pigweed coming through that. I saw where you tweeted, I think it was a couple of days ago, uh, some pigweed, I think it was what, three weeks, four weeks after application and looked like to me it was pretty healthy with a with a full rate of, of dicamba on it. So yeah. that, that's applied really timely. a scary situation. Yeah, yeah, and it's applied timely, you know that too, to, like it says on label four inches. Uh, if you're just a little late, you know, six to eight inch pigweed, which we're not talking about a day or two, uh, and that's where a lot of growers can actually get to the field and spray it. Um, it's, it doesn't even take the growing point out. Uh, they just keep right on rolling and, uh, we just can't do anything with them. The only thing I, with any consistency controlling them is a tank mix of Enlist One and Liberty. That's, that's working. Um, if, if I, if I do dicamba and then come back with Liberty fairly quickly, I can do pretty good with that as well. Um, um, but, you know, we got a lot of folks just wanting to spray dicamba after dicamba and then hit it again. And um, it, it's working in some cases, but in other cases, you know, they're spraying it the same pigweed three and four times. Um, so, and this has kind of been the week, last seven to 10 days, I got consultants. They're just sending me pictures all the time via text, uh, concerned about pigweed that, you know, it's been two, three weeks out, not and in, in, in still there from a dicamba application. Um, and some after sequential applications. So uh, we're there. Uh, the only way to control it post in my is, is a tank mix with, with Enlist One and Liberty or follow up uh, dicamba fairly quickly with Liberty. Um, I haven't seen the resistance to glufosinate on my side of the river. I didn't think until, I don't know, this, I, I got a place not too far away from y'all right on the Mississippi River and it sure looks pretty sketchy. Uh, I haven't seen Liberty work that bad there and it when we applied it. So uh, we may have it starting to track on our side of the rivers too, which is really frightening. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, some of our uh, glufosinate resistant uh, populations or one of them in particular, uh, we know that we now have oxen resistance uh, within that. And, you know, that's what was actually doing some work here in the greenhouse uh, just here recently. And it, uh, it appears that we've got a population over here on our side of the river that uh, seven, or I'm sorry, nine different, nine different modes of action uh, provided less than effective control under greenhouse conditions. And this is two inch, three inch pigweed that you're spraying in the, in the greenhouse. And, you know, so with that, what we start thinking about is, is talking about metabolic resistance and just the fact that you're able to go through and essentially degrade a wide assortment of chemistry. And it's not specific to a target site uh, when we're dealing with these types of resistances. And, you know, with that, 
you have a, um, you, you want, you want to go out and look at these metabolic inhibitors. And as wheat scientists, we look at P450s and GSTs, a, a wide assortment of those hoping that uh, we can find one to overcome the resistance mechanism. And I know I, I've conducted some research on that in that area. You've done some on your side of the river. Talk a little bit about that as a potential, uh, how effective is some of these metabolic inhibitors being in terms of overcoming the lack of control that you've observed? Yeah, I was uh, hoping maybe we'd see something out of these. Uh, we've mostly been centering on malathion because that's the one, if you look in the literature, has been probably the most widely used and, and most successful. And uh, most recently at K-State, I think they, they found it it uh, improved control um, uh, with, with 240 and dicamba on their Palmer amaranth. Uh, so we've tried it here in the greenhouse, and that's what they did, and you know, I think, in, in, in greenhouse. But in the greenhouse, we saw it kick, kick the level of control up on our Palmer about 30% uh, with, with dicamba. Um, but that really hasn't translated to the field. I tried it last year, and it didn't look – if I looked really close and squinted my eyes, I could see maybe a little difference, but – uh, this year, when we did it, I with dicamba, I don't see it improving the control. Um, with 2,4-D, uh, yeah, it, it it was improving the control a little bit, like somewhere 20 percent, maybe 30 uh, percent better control. But by no means were we getting 100 percent. So, um, so it yeah. looks, you know, that would all it all suggests all that research would suggest that metabolic resistance is, is one of the issues we're having here, uh, but finding the right combination with the right P450 inhibitor, it's going to take a lot more research. I, I would agree with you on that. And that's what you, that's what we, we've seen some positive results in the greenhouse. Uh, they've been very sporadic. Uh, we've gotten to the field. We've done a lot of work in the field uh, trying to improve efficacy uh, with these metabolic inhibitors. And, you know, when we look at a wide assortment of data, we've got, I think, six, seven, eight trials uh, some locations on this. And at the end of the day, we just have not been able to consistently uh, improve control with these metabolic inhibitors. And that's, that's extremely bothersome. Um, I'm, again, I'm, I'm very confident that uh, it is metabolic resistance. I'm not saying that there's not target site resistance yeah. there. I think there is a lot of target site resistance in these populations, but in order to be able to go through and and uh, degrade a wide assortment of chemistry and modes of action uh, the way that we're seeing in these pigweed populations is extremely uh, concerning. And I don't know, I mean, what's, what's next? So you're sitting here and in Tennessee, you're telling me that, you know, the oxen chemistry is failing for you and, and uh, we've got glufosinate resistance here. We're starting to see some oxen uh, issues on this side of the river. And I scratch my head as to saying what's, what's next other than the fact that, you know, with me over here, it's, I, I think it's us having to go back in and again, get centered around the fact that we're going to have to integrate more cover crops into these systems. I think we're going to have to look at trying to get that row spacing closed uh, sooner. Um, I understand that that's a challenge for these guys uh, that's going to farm 8,000, 10,000 acres in terms of getting over that. But uh I'm struggling as to what really the options are from an effective uh, control of pigweed. If it comes out of the ground, it, it, it's challenging to kill it. It really is. Um, so I know like one of the growers last year, he, he sprayed the same Palmer four times, um, three with dicamba, one with glufosinate, uh, and, and still, still had pigweed at the end of the day. So 
that was in cotton. So he, he put a big cover crop on it this year. I went out and just visited it yesterday and uh, planted beans on it. It looks good. Um, so I think we can get a lot of help there uh, and, and make sure we get some residuals in, in that system um, going forward. So cover crop, I think, is going to be one thing. And the other is, and we're doing a lot of it here this year. Of course, prices help, but getting corn in the rotation a lot heavier. Um, I got some growers now. They're you know going Acuron and Atrazine uh, post after you know a, a bicep pre, uh, and they're doing pretty good with that. So uh, that would be another option too. Um, don't just go out with a Callisto type product though, because I'm not seeing the best with those. But Callisto plus Atrazine really works. It needs a try on, or you could use any of the HPPDs. Uh, with atrazine, but I think those are good options, uh, getting more corn in the rotation uh, than what we've had in the past. I think that would also help. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. Where we've had beans and cotton historically on the ground, we've got to do something to, to break that up. And, you know, we've seen, we've got a good bit of HPPD resistance uh, over here in, in Arkansas. And I, 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 at times I'm puzzled as to how that's happened because it, we haven't used a tremendous amount of HPPD chemistry out there other than the fact, again, it comes back to this metabolic resistance yeah. that we, we talk about. But one thing is, even with those resistant populations, when I mix an HPPD herbicide with atrazine, it is one of the most effective options that I've got that I can put on corn. And with that, again, I think we can do a lot to help clean up some of these issues that we have uh, in corn. The one thing that I run into in corn that it bothers me sometimes is I think we do a good job of, con of controlling pigweed and pigweed wants to come on late in corn. And then so all of a sudden we get to, we harvest the crop. Uh, we've got some late emerging pigweed out there and we have a tendency to let that material go to seed. And that's hurt, hurting us. If we're not careful, that can cause us some problems. But if we'll do a good job managing pigweed at or after harvest, I'm a big fan of putting corn in the rotation where we've had a history of difficulty controlling pigweed. Yeah, I agree completely. And, and it's really, to me, it's, it's the cotton and soybeans, like you said, where we got really got, don't have as many options. And so crop rotation in the corn and, and using a combination of atrazine and HPPD inhibitor is really the best management tool I can think of trying to beat these populations, these weed seed populations down enough to where if you get a few break in your soybeans the next year or cotton, it's not the end of the world. Okay. Last thing, uh, Larry, is, you know, there's, uh, I'm hearing rumor that you may also have some oxen resistant uh, water hemp over there in Tennessee. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So, yeah, we got one site uh, up, uh, actually not, not real close to y'all. It's over the Tennessee River bottom up the, near Kentucky. Um, it's kind of a different site. It's, it's kind of its own world. There's really no Palmer there. Uh, and I'm not sure how the water hemp got there, but uh, there's several fields there that the last three years uh, been continuous soybeans and continuous dicamba roundup and just not getting any control. Um, so we've sent some things off to be screened and sure enough, like uh, Kevin Bradley's been screening the water hemp in our project, as you know, uh, it's been, it's been passing his screen and, and, uh, the farmer went with all corn this year and he left me a spot to play with. Um, we went out there and, and sprayed Enlist and we sprayed dicamba, of course, they're all labeled in corn, so it's no big deal. Uh, but what was interesting and it's different than the Palmer, uh, in that, uh, dicamba, we didn't get very good control with it on the water hemp, but 2,4-D controlled it very well. So it's different than what I'm seeing with the Palmer because 
Palmer Amaranth, it doesn't matter if it's dicamber 2,4-D, if it's resistant, we're not controlling it with either herbicide. So that was one of the differences I saw with that, with that water hemp population. And it sounds like it's consistent with some of the stuff, uh, some of the folks in the Midwest are starting to see as well, that uh, 2,4-D is holding in a little better, uh, at least with some of the populations they're looking at than dicamba on some of the water hemp uh, that's looking suspicious. So is anyone actually looking into the resistance mechanism to understand why 2,4-D is, is still effective and dicamba is not? I think, uh, I think Brian Young and Bill Johnson over at Purdue are, I think Indiana is kind of one of the folks that are seeing it, which is pretty close, not too far away from this side of mine, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and you know, you would wonder how some of the seed got there. I asked the farmer and I think he bought a combine out of Indiana um, several years back. And I wonder if that isn't how it got started. Um, so, but yeah, it's, I don't see a lot of water hemp here. Uh, I can find it if I hunt for it, but typically Palmer Amaranth's more competitive and, and really pretty much kind of stomps it out. Uh, but it's, it's pretty much a pure water hemp population over there uh, along the T uh, Tennessee River. Actually, well, I sure hope, river. Sorry, I sure hope you keep river. it on your side of the river and <laughs> but we don't want it over here. We, I'm not gonna tell you that we don't have water hemp here because we, I have found it in some spots, but it is very difficult to find a water hemp, as you just said, mainly in Arkansas, if you were to have water hemp in a field, I do believe Palmer's going to run it out of the field. So um, we, we don't have much of it and I don't want any over here. We have enough headaches with Palmer amaranth. So um, let's, let's keep it that way. So with that, I'm going to try to wrap this thing up and I really appreciate Dr. Uh, Steckel joining us today uh, for this episode of uh, Weeds or Wild podcast series on the Arkansas Row Crops Radio. I hope you found uh, this episode to be informative. Uh, next week, Dr. Butts will be leading the podcast discussion, and uh, I look forward to seeing you next time on the next episode of the Arkansas Weeds or Wild podcast again on the Arkansas Row Crops Radio. Thanks a lot. Arkansas Row Crops Radio is a production of the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. For more information, please contact your local county extension agent or visit uaex.uada.edu.